welcome. We are so thankful that you are joining us today on our podcast, Our Shared Humanity. Our show is sponsored by the Healing and Reconciliation Institute and also through the donations and support of our listeners. Our show amplifies and celebrates the personal stories and teachings of healing and reconciliation in order to invoke our shared humanity. Each month, we welcome a guest to our show where we learn more about their personal commitment to healing and reconciliation, the teachings that have helped them in their voyage, and the hopeful stories of healing and reconciliation circles that are happening all over our country and the world. We welcome you to join us by subscribing to our podcast and also check out our organization's website, healingreconciliationinstitute.org. Please also consider making a donation when you listen in to sustain our work and to honor the contributions of elders who have shared their teachings with all of us. Today, we are welcoming Henrietta Gomez of Taos Pueblo and Pat McCabe, Woman Stands Shining, Dinette. This episode includes excerpts from our recent online gathering and panel on intergenerational healing and resilience. Henrietta Gomez is a respected elder of the Red Willow people of Taos Pueblo, who shares her wisdom through action with gardening, art, and family. Pat McCabe is a Diné mother, grandmother, activist, writer, ceremonial leader, and voice for global peace. We are delighted to invite you to the table for this special conversation. With forgiveness as my bow and my prayers as my arrows, pull them back and let go. I watch them fly like sparrows have hope. Hi, my name is Siana Sanoki. I am joining this gathering from Pasquenta Nomlaki lands in Northern California. My lineage is Chumash from Southern California. As a founding board member of the Healing and Reconciliation Institute, I want to warmly welcome you to the gathering this evening. Being here tonight is the contributions of many. In particular, I'd like to express my appreciation to the Taos Community Foundation for their sponsorship and support of our fee waiver program, allowing all who wanted to come to be able to attend. I'm now gonna turn it over to our fellow founding board member, Maya West. Hi everybody. Such a treat to get to be with you all tonight. I'm also one of the founding board members of the Healing and Reconciliation Institute. And I'd like to start with our acknowledgement, both of the lands of the Taos Pueblo, Red Willow people, where we were invited to, to begin our learning in 2017, and also the lands um, and territories of the Rumson Esalen tribes here in California. These nations located at the center of the first U.S. capital of what is now known California, and next to the Carmel Mission and its legacy. I'd like to just start by inviting us all to, to have a moment of silence in honor of all of those who have been impacted or passed in this last many months from COVID-19. And in acknowledgement of yesterday's day of remembrance for those lost or harmed by the boarding school's legacy, we honor all of you here today who have your own stories and those of your relations based on this special 
important day of honoring. We really want to specifically share our gratitude tonight for some individuals that have helped us. I'd like to first of all express my gratitude to Sianna Sanoki, Brianna Bellamy, Dr. Stephanie Beaver Guzman, Ellie Painted Crow, um, our fellow board members um, in HRI, as well as Anita Rodriguez and Daniela Escalante, our Taos Project co organizers and honored advisors in this work, along with our larger advisor circle the indigenous healers who help guide and inform our work, and all of you who are here with us tonight. Thank you so much. Each of our participation in this circle really matters to us, and it means a lot that on a Friday evening, for those of you calling in from these time zones, that you've joined us. Thank you. We have been notoriously bad about talking about what we do in our organization. It's become a topic in many of our board meetings, but tonight I just want to share, for those of you who are calling in from one of our concentric circles or extended family of relationships, wherever you are coming. We know we have folks from all over tonight. This, this event is supported and sponsored by the Healing and Reconciliation Institute. We, um, we started our, our learning in 2017 in Taos, New Mexico, thanks to some invitations and hosting there. And we are also located in the central coast of California in the Eslin Rumson Territory, where we have our, our main office. Our mission, um, guided by Indigenous-centered healing, HRI weaves together opportunities to take responsibility for historical and ongoing traumas to invoke our shared humanity. We honor our fearless uh, co-founders, folks who began um, this work together, them in this slide here. And uh, we invite you to reach out to us if you wanna know more about our organization um, after tonight's event. Thank you so much for coming. With that, it's time for us to introduce very, very special speakers tonight. We have three stunning humans that are joining us from all parts. And we will I'll begin a simple introduction. And then we'll, of course, invite each speaker to, to add to their introduction more fully to introduce themselves. We're going to first hear tonight from Henrietta Gomez. Then we will hear from Pat McCabe then Atorangi Muru, followed by an exchange. And then we will, again, leave some time for question and responses at the end of our e evening. Henrietta, I wanna, I wanna introduce Henrietta for us all, and then Henrietta will invite you to do the same for yourself. Uh, Henrietta Gomez is from Taos Pueblo, the land of the Red Willow people, whose lands now encompass what is now known as the town of Taos and the smaller outlying communities. Her family grows corn and she sells cornmeal and tamales. She is a much respected elder in the community, an incredible advisor and mentor to many. And we are very fortunate to have you with us tonight, Henrietta. Thank you for coming. I'm very honored and happy to be part of this healing and reconciliation discussion. Like I was introduced by my sign and paycheck name, Henrietta Gomez, my Tiwa name, which was given to me by my grandfather, is Ubokila. There really isn't any literal translation for my name. All our names, our Tiwa names, are an experience or a visual from, from someone's experience, and they're given to us when we're babies. I go by that name with my tribe and everywhere else I'm known as Henrietta Gomez. And yes, I grow corn. And yes, I did sell tamales. I no longer sell tamales because of COVID. 
but I enjoy making them. I um, live here at Taos Pueblo, which is the homelands of the Red Willow people. And it's a beautiful place if people haven't visited. We're located in the end of the Rocky Mountain Range and all our lands are governed by our tribal government. The war chief take care of the hourglands and the governor's office take care of the inner inner part of our tribal lands, like inside the village. And both tribal governments have relationship with the federal government, having to deal with the federal government. We have a school here, which is tribal, a tribally run school that has been here since the 1800s, where most of the children here start their education. And a preschool program was introduced about, what, maybe 20 years ago. And that's when I really became involved in the education programs and process here on our tribal lands. I was asked to develop Tiwa Native Language Program and discussed with many tribal members about the maintenance of our native language because it was, it's slowly dying. English has overcome our way of teaching our children. And when we talk about boarding school issues, that's one of the causes of our language loss. When I was growing up, I was brought here to Taos Pueblo when I was a child, a young child, maybe four years old. My father, who was coming back from the war, World War II, went to school on a GI Bill, and nearby was a boarding school, Fort Wingate, where my mother was going to school. She was from Karis-speaking tribe, which is the Acoma Pueblo people. They couldn't communicate in their language. They spoke English, and my first language was English. When I moved back to, when my father moved us back to his homelands, my mother didn't speak the language, the house Tiwa language. I didn't either. When I went to school, I was speaking Tiwa with, I was speaking the Tiwa that I learned at home, but all my classmates were fluent speakers. They could speak, laugh, and play and cry in our language. I had to learn from them. Many times I went through my own trauma as a child with um, native speakers. When we were on the playground, they would tease me and say, why do you speak Pansai, the English language? Are you Pansai? Are you a Pansai girl? So I had to really try hard to learn my language. And the elders, when I would talk to them in our language, would say, my don't speak to me in that language. I am not a Pansai person. Speak to me in our language. And they would continue to talk to me in our in our Tiwa language. So it was it was hard 
Uh, but I learned because my mother learned. My mother comes from the Akama tribe and they're Karis speakers. And they are, she's a very strong person. She knew that she made her home in Taos with her husband, my father, and that she would be raising her children there. So she made a commitment to learn our language. And when she passed away, a lot of the tribal people here didn't know that my mother was from another tribe because she became fluent in our language. And she made that commitment because she had seven sons. And she knew that she had, she needed to learn the language. And the grandmothers and the aunties around the neighborhood spoke to her only in our language because she was raising all those boys and they were going to be participating in our tribal ceremonies and my three sisters as well. So we were raised in a Tiwa language. I went to school from kindergarten up to sixth grade with the federal bureau schools here on the tribal lands. And from the seventh grade, I decided I was going to go to school in, in Santa Fe where they started the IAIA, the Institute of American Indian Arts. It was exciting to me because I was always interested in the arts and all the instructors there were artists and the curriculum was based on, on art. And we had students from all over the United States and Canada that came to that school. It was a high school. And while I was there, they started a post-grad program for two years. And when I was going to school there, all the tribal students that went there were fluent in their language. We had, we could hear many different languages. And, and when we had break time, with the group, different language groups would get together and talk and laugh. I'm sure they miss being around their homeland, but at least they have that connection through their language to their people, which is, I think, very important. And so after I finished, I finished high school there, I got a scholarship to study art in, in New York. I traveled there by plane, my first, very first airplane ride at 17 years of age and landed in New York. And I was picked up by the director of the school that I was going to go to. I never seen so many people, so many buildings, people even close together. I grew up in the Pueblo, a village with people living right next door to each other. But people there, in New York didn't have any communication with each other and it really bothered me because I grew up around people that had that interconnection with all different groups and at different ages and no divisions between the young people, male or female. And it was, a, it was quite an adjustment to be going there and to not hear my language or to hear the songs that I used to hear or dance the dances that I was dancing when I, as I was growing up, and that I earned the right to when I had my coming out ceremony. 
It was an adjustment, but I lived in the East for 12 years. And when I finally made a decision to come home, it was like reintroducing myself into to my tribal, tribal people. I, I knew a lot of things in my growing up years when I was, I was like at the age of five. I used to be loaned out to my, my father's aunties that needed help because their daughters or their children were sent away to boarding school. So I was still in, in elementary school. And I was very thankful for that experience because I learned a lot of our tribal ways, the foods, the native plants, uh, the names of, of the trails, the animals, the birds, what was edible, what was not. I learned about farming, when it was time to plant, when it was time to harvest, and, and uh, when we were taught gathering, foraging for, for native foods. I had this one, my father's godmother, who was blind would take me out to gather food. And she knew exactly where those plants and herbs grew. And I used to think, is she really blind? Because she would tell me exactly where those plants were growing. And she would tell me, go down this, this little trail and right there beside the river, there's going to be these trees, you'll recognize them. And that's where those plants are growing. Before you pick them, talk to them and tell them why you're picking them and you're going to give them to me and we're going to take care of them to feed our people. And so I would do that. And I learned a lot from her. I learned a lot from my auntie. My grandfather was our, uh, my grandmother, my paternal grandmother passed away when, at a, when I was like maybe five years old, shortly after my father moved us to Taos. And so we didn't have a grandmother, but my father's father was our grandmother and our grandfather. And he taught us a lot about the, the medicinal plants. He taught us about the animals and how to prepare the, the, the meat. My sister and I were the oldest children in our family. And he would teach us how to skin the venison when my father went hunting. He would show us how to make the offerings to the animals and the songs that went with the offerings to those animals and how we prepared those meats, how to even cut up the animals that my dad brought home and um, how to preserve it. So it was an education in, in my tribe cultural ways. And um, when I went away to school and came back, it was there was a big gap instead of a continuation of my education in tribal ways. There was a big gap. It was almost starting like when I was 17 years old, I had to go back and relearn all those ways. And when I participated in some of the tribal dances, I had to start to learn all over, like get, get into the rhythm of the songs because it wasn't, when they're singing the tribal songs and you're dancing those songs, it's not like you can just step into the dance and start dancing. It's like learning the steps to be in rhythm with the song. And I, I was able to learn, but it was hard also because 
I could hear comments with some of my uh, tribal people saying, she spent so much time away from home, and now here she is wanting to get involved. And I have those experiences and memories that I go back to when I think about some of the young people that have been displaced because they went away to school. But I always think about what my grandfather told me when I was leaving for school, away from home. He said, you have this opportunity to go out there and meet many people and see very all these different things that you're going to see. He said, but always, always remember those that you left home. Always remember those ones that you left home that gave you the opportunity to leave so you can see those things. Because when you remember that, that's what's going to bring you back home. And that's what brought me back home. My language, my people, the songs, the dances. And now I'm at an age where I feel I need to pass that on. And I work a lot with young women that, ha that are trying to find their way primarily with my ceremonial daughter who had to get her education and, and earned her PhD. And she's come home. Her mother, her grandmother is from Paz Pueblo. Her grandfather's from Hamas. And um, she wants so badly to learn our ceremonial way. And every opportunity that she has she comes to pass and I communicate with her and I teach her, but it's sad that sometimes the meaning of those ceremonies and songs are lost to her because she's, we're not doing it in our language the way it's supposed to be. So there's compromise there, but she's learning. She's making the commitment to learn. But sometimes when I call her up and tell her, we're having this ceremony now. Would you like to come? And she says, well, I have to do this and I have to do that. So we compromise all the time. Henrietta, thank you for, for your share. And uh, for those of you who are watching, you know, we had, before we got together, we came up with an agreed upon signals for time. And it felt very uncomfortable to stop you there, Henrietta. Thank you. I know there'll be more. Okay. Um, I'd like to invite our two other speakers to this conversation. We'll join for our full panel now that we've heard from Henrietta, our, our special guest from Red Willow, Taos Pueblo. I'd like to, first of all, invite Pat McCabe here, Woman Stand Shining, Danae, Navajo mother, grandmother, activist, artist, writer, ceremonial leader, and international speaker. She is a voice for global peace and her paintings are created as tools for individual earth and global healing. I also uh, want to invite and welcome Atarangi Muru here, coming in all the way from Atarea, New Zealand. Ata's passions include self-healing, and she shares that when growing up, self-healing was in every home. Ata is one of the founders and healers of the Maori Healers. And we welcome you with us tonight as well, Atta. Thank you all for coming. Pat, we'll start with you. You feel free to introduce yourself more fully and then we'll, we'll hand over to Atta. Welcome, you guys. Nice to see you all. Yes, really good to see you all. And thank you for bringing us together and having this really incredible moment here. So just feeling it. <laughs> 
So I'll say my mother named me Patricia Catherine McCabe. Quite a long story about that. I'm not sure I'll use the time that I have to tell you that story, but it's a good one. <laughs> and it tells about the history of my people and my family pretty deeply, actually, and how I also connect to the world and, and Ireland, but not necessarily by blood. So. <laughs> And then, uh, so I'll say, Shea'iya, Tachi ni Nanisht Eji Nishli, Aro Ashi Ibashishchi, Mudishkejne Dashanale, Klauschi Dashiche, Aguataos Dani Nishli. So I'm telling you about my clans. We get our clans from our mother. And then I was also adopted into the Lakota spiritual way of life, gosh, almost 30 years ago now. And in that way, I was given the name Wiakpa. It's kind of been morphing in terms of how I translate it into English. So now I'm saying, uh, womaning, standing, shining. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a catalyst. <laughs> Being the female of our kind, I'm a catalyst. Things, things change in our encounter. And so I'm just kind of honoring that, that, that way of being, that energy. As Henrietta was saying about our names, you know, they're, they're, not, they're not nouns exactly. <laughs> they're describing something. That's my my introduction here, and um, I actually am feeling to to sing a little bit here. I'm gonna sing a grandmother calling song, a couple rounds of the grandmother calling song I was given. So I'll say. Sing, sing that and ask the grandmothers to take a good look at each one of us who's gathered here and even even those who are going to come along and watch this maybe after this moment and um, and bless bless us <laughs> we, we need your blessing right now and so I so many things going through my mind as I was listening to Henrietta speak but I think I'm going to go ahead and start with uh, residential <laughs> residential boarding schools after yesterday yesterday the, uh, an acknowledgement day in what is now known as Canada for what took place uh, during the residential in the residential boarding schools and, and the discovery of these of these mass graves or as, as some people say they I don't know if we can even call them graves really because we don't know what kind of if any ceremony if any any kind of protocol was followed with placing those children's bodies in those places so you know there's been over 6,000 of these children's remains found in those places. And, you know, I just recently 
we did opening ceremony, did an opening ceremony and closing ceremony for the Richard Rohr annual conference, Conspire. And Richard Rohr is an international Christian contemplative. I will say that we probably started out in that conversation as just kind of, it's sort of like checking the box. You know, you have to have the indigenous person sanctify what you're about to do and to give a blessing to the land. And I'm not saying that that's not important. It is important. That is important. And that's big progress, I think, for for humanity that, that we feel like that has to be done. So maybe I shouldn't say it that way. But then to get into it a little deeper, you know, so I, I requested from to speak with Father Richard and, and with the staff and say, you know, we have this moment. We have this moment to to really be real here and to acknowledge what's taking place between Indigenous peoples and the Catholic Church at this time, you know, so are are you guys up for it? And you know what? They were, they were, they were way up for it. They really wanted to bring it forward and to look at what the possibilities for change were from all sides. And so I'll just say a little bit about the the nugget, I guess, that that happened for me at the the very beginning was, you know, because I was describing, you know, let's look at what really happened. I mean, you're listening to Henrietta describe the life of people coming and going, the the difficulty of, of being in those schools and then trying to come home, the lateral violence that takes place with people not wanting to accept you for for how your destiny, your destiny led you. Sometimes we choose, some people chose to go to those schools, but sometimes they were just flat out kidnapped and taken. And then they were trying to come back home to a, 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 a way of thinking about being human that was radically different than what was being shown and taught at those residential boarding schools. So there's a lot of pain and suffering that comes along with that. And the other thing that I that I brought up and that I say in most of my talks is that, you know, not only was it is it was the disruption of the destruction of family structures, clan structures, and, and we say culture, but but here's something, here's an aspect that I want to name for the world. And that is that we interrupted cultures who understood true sustainability, like deep this deep science of sustainability. And so to dismantle these cultures was actually a part of why we find ourselves where we find ourselves today, ecologically speaking and environmentally speaking. To destroy these cultures was to dismantle our our understanding of how to be here as a human being in such a way that we cause all other life to thrive. Because when I look out my window and I look at the birds, the insects, the trees, even the mountains, you know, what I notice about them is they live in such a way, their presence and the way that they conduct their lives, they do it in such a way that only ever causes all other life to thrive. They know how to do that. They know how to harmonize at that level. And so, you know, what I've been saying to myself is, so as human being, I must have that ability. I wouldn't be here if I didn't have that ability. But do I know what it is anymore? And I'm going to say that these indigenous cultures, my own cultures, held deep knowledge. We had already been in a very, very deep study, 10,000 years, 20,000 years study of how to be that human being that can harmonize in that way. So this was a, a big loss for the world. And then, but then here's the other part is what did the church lose? The church lost its honor. The church lost, you know, broke its oath, broke its pact to be a place of peacemaking and peace. The church lost its capacity to be a place that could create the circumstance for grace 
and healing to come to the people. And so as an indigenous person, that, that, that really strikes me because this is what we're trying to, to preserve is all of our methodologies for creating the circumstances for grace and healing to always be able to come to the people, to the earth, to the place where we live. So this was a huge loss for the church. And so in naming those things, I had this incredible moment where everything flipped. And in that moment, by naming what the church lost, I felt like I was also naming what the church could be what it set out to be. And so for the, probably the first time in my life, I felt like, what if the church was that sanctuary? What if the church could be that sanctuary, really and truly, with a sincere heart? What, what if that church could be peacemaker? What if that church could be all those things that it set out to be? So all of a sudden I had this vision of what that would be like, because they're already everywhere. <laughs> so imagine, imagine what would happen if they could really live into that capacity. And then I wanted to talk about intergenerational. So my grandparents and my parents were sent to Dutch Christian Reform Missionary Boarding School outside of Gallup. Maybe you know that place, Henrietta, at Rehoboth School there, and also at the Mission mission School in Farmington. And um and so I'm third generation now, and I, I wasn't sent to those schools, but I have to navigate all the fallout of what happened there. And, and as Henrietta was describing, that, that sort of almost schizophrenia of, of being a part of two very different ways of thinking about being a human being. And so, you know, just recently, my, so my, my youngest child is 25 now. So my kids are getting a little older and you know what? They're starting to do their healing work on their, on their trauma. <laughs> so I wish I could say that, you know, I understood how to heal myself so well and so quick and so soon that, my, that I didn't pass any of it on to my kids, but I'm afraid I can't say that. So they have to deal with the trauma that they experienced. And it's sad. It's sad for me that that's true. So I want to say that, you know, I'm, I'm telling my children, I'm willing to have these conversations with you. And we've had some very profound conversations. And one of the things that I've said in, in the conversation with my son was that I have to do this healing work. And I'm going to say, I'm sorry, but you have to do this healing work too, because if we don't do this healing or if I don't heal, I complete the genocide. If I prevent others from healing with that lateral violence, like Henrietta was talking about, that criticism of, you know, look how she's dancing, look who does she think, you know, all of that stuff. If I keep doing that, I'm going to complete the genocide. And so for myself, I say, there is no way, there is no way I'm going to be the one to complete the genocide. So we have to step into that healing work. It's looking like it's about time for me. So I'm just going to say a couple more sentences here. You know, so what I say to all young people everywhere I go, and, uh, and I certainly would say it to our Native young people, is you've got to want your life. You've got to want your life. you got to want it like this. you got to want it. So whatever it is that makes you want your life, that's what you need to be moving towards. If it's deep into our culture, fantastic. If it's not that deep into our culture, I'm still going to say fantastic. If it's not related to our culture, 
still fantastic because in the days to come, what is, what is coming down to us, the natural consequences of how we have been collectively as a species, that's what you're going to need. You're going to need that way of wanting your life deeply. And so I've had to search within my culture, even in another tribe's culture, and in modern world, to be able to recreate family and structure that could allow me to, to heal and to feel the deep blessing that I have the potential to be. And on a good day, I actually live into that potential of being blessing, being blessing on this earth and blessing all the life. So I'll stop there. Thank you, Pat. But we've seen it all before and now we know we can change it cause that's why we were born. We know we are the ones that we have been waiting for. We are the ones grandma has been praying for. So rise up. This podcast is copyrighted 2021 Healing and Reconciliation Institute. Music by Lila June Johnston and Lauren Monroe. Technical direction by Alice McGowan and edited by Hunter Wentworth. Administrative support by Suki Delory, our advisor circle, and of course, Maya West and Brianna Bellamy as your hosts. Thank you for listening. If you would like to provide a reciprocal gift of thanks for listening, please feel free to donate on our website using the Donate Now button and mention our guests in your donation form. Thank you so much.